Good morning. So as Travis said, this is the day of Pentecost, um, the day in which the church celebrates Jesus's uh, having asked the Father to send the Spirit, and they send the Spirit to give life to the church. So our family measures our time in the valley um, by Pentecost, but, and that's an unusual way for a former Baptist to measure time, if you know anything about what it's like to grow up Baptist. Our first weekend here was Pentecost 2014, and we were invited to the Pentecost party at the Napotnik's house right after church. Chris Pellerin was just saying this last night, but I hadn't brought it up. And he was talking about if you grow up Baptist and then go to a Pentecost party at the Napotnik's house, you're, you're in for a treat and a little bit of disappointment that you've wasted so many years up until then living life in a different way. You know, you know uh, so our first Pentecost party, there came this moment where... Um, we hear the music in the background playing, and it, it, it was r the Red Hot Chili Peppers, which I didn't know that. Katie had to tell me. I just knew it wasn't DC Talk, okay? <laughs> if you've grown up in the Baptist church, you'll know what that means. Um, and so we look at each other and say, you know, ways to know that you're not Baptist anymore. One, there's Red Hot Chili Peppers playing in the background at the Pentecost party. Two, you're at a Pentecost party. Okay. <laughs> What's that? <laughs> oh, well, there was, there was that too. Okay. The, the truth is, and I, and I mean it, I really didn't know about much about what Pentecost was. I, honestly, I feel like I've been catching up since then. And every year I find I'm catching up on what this event is. So I, I knew there was this thing about the Holy Spirit, but even that, you had to be kind of careful about or it could make you Pentecostal, right? So I had no idea, for instance, that Pentecost was originally an agricultural festival. Did you, did you know this? It was the uh, festival that celebrated the first fruits of the year. They would bring in sheaves from the field that had just begun to pop up, and it was in the hopes that God was going to provide the harvest for the rest of the year, but they bring these first fruits and offer them to God in faith that he will continue to provide. And did you know this, that Pentecost, being 50 days after the Jewish celebration of Passover, was also associated with when Moses went up on Mount Sinai and received God's law of the Ten Commandments. So if you put these two events together, an agricultural celebration of first fruits, along with the receiving of God's law, you, you honestly, you have almost everything you need to know about what the New Testament's going to say in relationship to the Holy Spirit. His role in the lives of God's people. So the Apostle Paul talks about the Holy Spirit producing the first fruits of a life with God. He says that these are the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And just a little later, he describes the life, life in the Spirit in this kind of summary way as fulfilling the law of Christ. 
So the Holy Spirit's work is to extend the work of God, the work that God began long ago, even in the Old Testament. He produces life-giving fruit in people, and he helps people to follow his life-giving law. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. Now, what I end up bumping up against every year at Pentecost as I read Acts chapter 2, which we just listened to, um, this is the passage that we read every time uh, this Sunday of the year. And what I bump up against every time I come to this passage and I'm studying it and praying, what, what do we share this Sunday? There's a part of me that reads this passage and says, yeah, that's not me. What I mean is, there are no mighty rushing winds in my own experience of God, to be honest with you. There are no tongues of fire in the life that I have lived with God. That hasn't happened, to be honest with you. I am so grateful for Fran. She's prayed over me, and I've said, God, answer that prayer. Give me that gift, whatever it may be. I'm grateful for those of you who've experienced those things. I love those stories, but that hasn't happened for me. And so I end up, for what can be a really short moment of time, and, but sometimes, honestly, a longer amount of time, I end up wondering if something's missing in my own relationship with God. Like I compare myself and say, whoa, man, they've got something. What is that? Am I doing something wrong here? There ends up being this sense of inadequacy in my relationship to the Spirit. What's going on? Is it a problem that there are no mighty rushing winds or tongues of fire? So I find myself every year going a little deeper into this idea that I want to share with you in this passage this morning. The idea is that Pentecost is showing something new, but it's not something normative. Pentecost is showing us something new, but it's not necessarily something normative. It's showing us that God is doing something new. It's a new moment, but that does not mean that every moment is going to look like this one. That's not what this passage is trying to tell us. In fact, if every moment began to look like this, we would eventually get bored with even rushing winds and tongues of fire, and we would ask the Spirit to do something new and more extraordinary. But the point is that now the Spirit is always doing something new. Always. What's new about what's happening in this passage? What's new about this moment? It's universal availability. There are no more supply chain woes when it comes to access to the Holy Spirit. Formerly, God sent the Holy Spirit to empower certain people for certain tasks. But there was no sense of the abiding presence of the Holy Spirit in the lives of every person who was open. Always available to all. That that wasn't the case. But Jesus sends the Spirit to turn every person who's willing into a heavenly tabernacle, a dwelling place for God. He universalizes the availability of the Spirit. He died for all, he rose for all, and so the Spirit is permanently available for all. 
And this is a new thing within the life of the world. The living God will make his home within you. And this is the point behind our passage from Acts where it says that tongues of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. I I remember teachers in seminary telling me you have to be careful about putting the emphasis on the wrong syllable. The emphasis here is just as much on the fact that all of them receive the Spirit as it is that they can speak new languages. It is just as much on the fact that every single one of them receives the Spirit. And seriously, if you did have to pick, which is more amazing? That God, the Creator Himself, can live inside you forever, or that you can speak a new language that you haven't spoken before. I mean, speaking a new language you haven't spoken before, that's amazing. But it would get old after a while. You'd want a new language. The creator living inside you means that you can always do a new thing. Always. And this is what's new. The Spirit of God available to all, doing new things in the people who are willing to receive Him. So in our psalm, we heard that the Spirit of the Lord renews the face of the ground. The word for ground is Adamah. Do you know what word we get from that Hebrew word? Adam. Man. Humanity. We are all made of earth. And we're like dry dirt, to be honest with you. We're poor soil for a rich garden. But the Spirit renews the face of mankind. He renews the faces of people, the entire being of humanity. And he makes us into fruitful ground. And he enables us to grow new kinds of flowers and fruit that we were not able to grow before. People who once had a short fuse and can blow up at anybody. People who were serial adulterers can be changed. People who are addicted to pornography, alcohol, whatever it may be, can, by the help of the Holy Spirit, be changed. You can do new things. This is what it means that the Spirit of the Lord can renew the face of Adamah, of man. You can bear new kinds of fruit. You know, in case you do not, or in case you know it too well, I don't want you to forget who the people are in Acts 2 that the Spirit is filling with himself. The people in Acts 2 that the Spirit is filling were nobodies. And they were worse than nobodies. They were anxious, fearful, and misguided nobodies. They were zealots who couldn't follow through. They were idealists who could not live up to their ideals. Think of Peter. Think of uh, the sons of thunder. These disciples, the Spirit is renewing them, and he's doing new things in them. In place of their fear and pride, he's filling them with a new kind of courage, 
And in place of uh, inadequacy, he's giving them a sufficiency of himself. There's an irony in our passages this morning that's actually a little humorous. So at the Tower of Babel, people were afraid of being dispersed over the face of the earth. So they want to make a name for themselves so they won't be forgotten in case something happens. So they try to build this enormous tower into the sky. Oh, I'm so sorry. Is that how everybody feels, right? It's okay, it's okay. They try to build this enormous tower into the sky, and at the end of the story, their fears come to fruition. The exact thing they fear comes true. They live into the reality of their own fear. They fear being dispersed across the face of the earth, and what happens? They get dispersed over the face of the earth. And history knows none of their names. Remember, they wanted to make a name for themselves. We don't have a clue who they were. All we think is, man, that was us foolish building project. But the disciples, who would have been completely unknown to history, we wouldn't have known their names. They're filled with the Holy Spirit. They serve God without fear or their own self-interest to the extent of giving their lives, and they become known. We know their names. And it's been this way with God's people over and over again. God fills nobodies with his spirit, and he makes them something. More than they are, more than they were. The spirit universally available does new things in people, things they couldn't do before. That's what he does for you. That's what he does for you. I I really wonder... Is this, do you find that the Spirit is doing new things in you? Th- this amazes me about some of the people in our church who are um, on the wiser end of things, of the spectrum. I say this with lots of love. <laughs> Th- it really does amaze me. I find that some people in our church in their later years are going through things they never expected to be going through. Never expected it. It's some of the hardest things they've gone through in their entire life. But as I listen to how they're processing and how they're praying, it's obvious to me that it's only because of the Spirit of Jesus living in them that they're getting by at all with any kind of joy in life in the midst of the strain. The Spirit, even in their older years, is doing new things. And this can be the case, whether it's child to older years. At every stage of life, this is the amazing gift of the Holy Spirit, that you can do new things. You don't have to continue to be who you were or who, you've have, who you have been. The habits that have controlled you, they don't have to be there. With his help, with the help of the church, With the help of other gifts of God, you can grow and become a different person. Maybe slowly, but you can still grow and change. So the Spirit is always able to do something new. 
Pentecost is new, but remember, the means in which the Spirit works are not always the same. They're not normative. We're not all to expect rushing winds or tongues of fire. And we should not become insecure if the Spirit works in one way in one person, but not in us. We shouldn't. Or if the Spirit works one way in one church, but not in ours. We should not become insecure about that. Instead, we should give thanks for the Spirit's work and ask Him to work in whatever ways He needs to work or wants to work in us. Insecurity is the opposite of what God wants when it comes to our confidence in relationship with Him and His ability to work in us. Honestly, I get concerned that some of us, and myself included, seek ecstatic experiences of God as a substitute for the kind of long obedience that is just part of living a life with God. We should pray absolutely for powerful experiences in our relationships with God. We should. I'm not discouraging that in any way, but we should recognize that when it comes down to it, day-to-day life with God is a long obedience in the same direction. And the Spirit is not any less at work in the long obedience than He is in the ecstatic experiences. This is why we're not afraid as a church of doing liturgy in the way we do it, of reading passage after passage on a Sunday morning, because this is the kind of long obedience we need Sunday after Sunday to sustain the work of the Spirit in our lives. To sing, to receive His Word, to receive communion. We need these habits of being that will sustain us through the week. And then when the Spirit wants to come in and shatter us in some way, do it. He can, he can do as whatever He wishes to do. Our liturgy is not a straitjacket to keep us from the work of the Spirit. It is an avenue for the work of God's Spirit in our lives. When we are willing to walk in the Spirit, we're continually allowing God to change us, sometimes ever so slowly, and then sometimes in radically new ways, to make us more and more patient, more and more courageous, more and more holy, more and more like Jesus himself. And so I wonder, is that happening for you? Are you experiencing the life of the Spirit? Are you seeking the life of the Spirit? And here's a really hard question. Is there any way in which you're quenching the life of the Spirit? Is there any way in which sin or an unwillingness to create new habits in your devotion to God is quenching the Spirit's work in your life? It's keeping you from going deeper in relationship to Him. And listen, if you quench the work of the Spirit in your life, that's not just affecting you. It is a selfishness that is going to affect people all around you. The beautiful thing that happens in this story in Acts chapter 2 is they receive this gift of the Spirit, and then they are sent out with this courage to minister in God's name and to announce the mighty works of God. God has sent his own son out of love 
for you and for the world to die so that you can be forgiven of all the ways in which you are twisted out of his image and into the image of evil and darkness. And he can renew you and make you, remake you into his own image. And he wants you to be announcing those mighty works that he's done in all the little nooks and crannies in which you live your life. He wants Church of the Lamb to be announcing the mighty works of God and all the nooks and crannies in which we exist in this place, in this area. And that doesn't mean that it has to be rushing winds or tongues of fire. Again, the means are not normative. But it does mean that we are supposed to be present in this place and ministering in God's name. And so again, are you experiencing newness in the work of God's spirit? Or are you quenching his work? And if you are, will you repent? And will you turn to the Lord and allow him to keep reworking you and remaking you into the beautiful and life-giving image of Jesus? Amen.